0: The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Are you seeking meaning beyond work and consumption? Does it sometimes seem that instead of God, money rules the world and runs your life? Welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. We are exploring the many aspects of our relationship with money within the grounding of our faith, our money beliefs, our sense of security, truly loving our families, and making a difference in the world. Now, here is your host, Mike Little.
2: Hello and welcome to Faith and Money, Making the Connection. I'm your host, Mike Little, Director of Faith and Money Network. If we talk about money long enough most of us hit a sore spot an idea that feels threatening in our core and we spin into what if territory what if there's not enough to take care of my family what if one of us really gets sick what if i'm poor when i'm old the potential scenarios are endless and our fear can be enormous but that fear points us to a central connection between faith and money Where do we find our security? Where do we find our deep-down, heart-of-hearts, gut-level sense of security? What helps us feel safe enough to live out God's call in our lives? Security is what allows us to decide how much is enough. Because without a sense of security, there can never be enough, can there? A sense of security illuminates God's abundance deepens our solidarity with others, and provides the footing we need to move from the general desire to be faithful to the specific actions of being faithful. That sense of security is crucial to making our connections between faith and money. But where do we find security? As much as we all might like a one-size-fits-all answer, I don't have one for you. An honest answer to that question is personal, fluid, and deeply sensitive So during our time together today, we'll be raising the questions and sharing some stories to support your reflection on your own sense and source of security. For you, does security mean physical safety? Does security require a specific amount of money? To what extent does your sense of security depend on your situation, you know, your age, your health, your family, your profession? How is your sense of security shaped by the cultural messages around you and the expectations of your family and friends? Does your sense of security ever just depend on your mood? For almost everyone, most of these factors affect our sense of security. And for people of faith, finding our security can be even more complex. We may have a general desire to be faithful and put our security in God rather than anything physical or financial. But when it comes to specific actions, what am I supposed to do? What does faith require? At one end of the spectrum, we might cite the familiar Matthew 6 passage. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet God feeds them. And interpret it to mean that retirement savings prove our lack of faith. At the other extreme, We may deny that our faith has any practical implications for how we pursue a sense of security. After all, we do live in an economy and culture that tell us we must guarantee that we and our families will be okay no matter what happens, and we must do it alone. So we live in this deep internal conflict between what we think we're supposed to believe as people of faith and what we're supposed to believe as smart independent people living in a modern economy. The two could hardly be more different. What's the truth of the matter? Again, I don't know. But there's one aspect to this question I'm sure about, though. Whatever our understanding of security, we cannot find it alone. Only as part of God's community can we begin to understand in our bones a true sense of security and to live grounded in that understanding. We have two wise and wonderful people here today to help us continue to think through the question of security and faith. Elizabeth McMeekin and Phil Moses will share their challenges of raising three children, helping with elder parents, planning for their own older years and responding to their call to live simply. Elizabeth and Phil, thank you for being with us and for being willing to talk about these deeply personal questions of what security means for us and where we find it. Welcome. Hi, Mike. Hey, to get us started, would you describe your family for us and maybe outline a typical day in the McMeekin-Moses household?
3: Sure. So, Phil and I are in our 50s, we've been married for 24 years, and we have three kids. One who is a sophomore in college, one who's a senior in high school, and one who's a junior in high school. So with kids at home, our days start out pretty early uh, with fixing breakfast, fixing lunches, people leaving the house between 6.30 and 6.45 or 50, and then Phil and I getting ready to go to our respective jobs. Um, Phil typically commutes either by bus or, or on his bike to work in the district, and my job is right here in Silver Spring, so um, it's about... Three miles away from our house. I do drive because I often have work that requires me to go to meetings in different places. But um, it's definitely uh, an easy commute for for me. Um, and we are working in jobs that are still pretty focused on the community that we're living in or are feel a. Connection to in other parts of the world as public health and community um, co- community organizing types of activities.
2: Are you uh, uh, involved with your uh, uh, your parents? Do they live near you, or what's kind of your role in their lives right now?
4: Well, uh, this is Phil. Um, my folks are older. My mom's 93, my dad's 87. They live two states away in uh, North Carolina. So uh, my focus with them is mainly um, helping. They tend to have their own resources. So a lot of my work is really just helping them to marshal their resources and uh, making sure they get the kind of uh, services that they need. But I'm far away, so it's, it's a little bit frustrating. Uh, Elizabeth, you can talk about her own mom.
3: So my parents, um, my mother died several years ago, and my father actually lives out of the country. He lives in South America with his wife, and we see him once a year when he travels to the United States. So in terms of involvement with him and his his well-being, not directly. Certainly, we stay in touch by email and by Skype. Um, I do have a stepmother who lives in Kentucky, and she I would describe as pretty Fragile, uh, economically, she lives in um, assisted living kind of environment that is Medicare, Medicaid um, funded, and uh, I know that her well-being is something that all of us in the family are pretty actively concerned about on a regular basis. It's not something that we are close enough to be able to do anything about directly, but my sister in Massachusetts is the one who organizes the, to make sure that food gets brought in for her, that health care comes in to care for her, and you know that there are services in addition to what the building provides that help her with just the tasks of daily living, like getting rid of the garbage and doing the mm-hmm. laundry and those kinds of things. But I would definitely say she is in a very different situation than Phil's parents.
2: Gotcha. I'm, it's a similar situation in our household, too, and... You've probably heard the the uh, saying of the the sandwich generation, where we are kind of we have children on one end and parents on the other, and and responsibilities uh, for for both. And how do you handle that? Do you feel like you have enough resources to kind of ensure everyone's well-being? Well, I, I think that
4: in general we feel that we do. Uh, well-being is kind of a broad term, but yeah, I, I think that. Uh, we've been able to uh, ensure that folks get what they need um, uh, with the possible concern about Elizabeth's mom um, but uh, yeah I, I think we're, we we feel fairly confident that things are okay uh, again we'll have to revisit the whole question of when we talk about people's well
2: being but yeah mm-hmm. sure sure Well, thank you so much for you guys being willing to to talk about this topic today it's a it's a tough one and um i i know it's even hard to u- to describe and kind of the personal feelings as our of our sense of security and um but that's kind of what we're here to talk about so i just want to just ask you directly is security a feeling a lack of anxiety physical safety a particular size investment portfolio what does security mean for you all well,
3: it's a great question. Um, I know that as as we've talked about it at different points in time, it has it has definitely meant different things. But I think the best summary that I can come up with is that it's some combination of our objective and subjective perception of of being both physically safe and economically um, stable, and um, our faith. So, didn't mention that we're pretty actively involved in our local faith community. It's a Catholic church called St. Camillus. And um, the combination of that vital community and uh, the, the neighborhood of people within which we live and relationships that we have helps us have a perception of our, an, an objective perception of ourselves as being pretty Fortunate, in fact, extremely fortunate. Um, so I think in that regard, we definitely feel a sense of security that comes from both having, you know, the, the facility to provide for our family, to be involved in our community, to um, be living as closely as we can to the tradition of our faith, and also that we don't run the risk of any severe you know, physical threats. We don't live in a neighborhood where we're actively concerned about, you know, the safety of our home or our well-being. In terms of an investment portfolio, I would say that, it is you know, we don't have some magic number that we feel we have to achieve in order to feel safe. I think that by virtue of um, some wonderful gifts that have come to us by way of grandparents, um, we are more than comfortable in terms of the economic resources that we have, but we certainly, certainly are always attentive to the fact that that comfort is something that we want to not just take for granted, but to always be examining against the filter of faith.
2: Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Hey folks, uh, we're talking with uh, Phil Moses and Elizabeth McMeekin About security and faith And how much is enough And we're going to take a quick break So stay with us and we'll be right back
5: We're on Facebook Along with some of the greatest minds of the world And that includes you Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up?
6: Want the inside scoop about what's going on in the social networks of art and entertainment? Tune in to Star Power Hour, brought to you by Fortalent.com. We'll talk to the top professionals in the entertainment industry and find out what they're working on and what's next. Your host is James Barber, who has his finger on the pulse of the arts and entertainment world. Star Power Hour, brought to you by Fortalent.com. live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
5: This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: Listening to Faith and Money, making the connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little and this week's show.
2: Yeah, hi everyone. We're talking with Phil Moses and Elizabeth McMeekin today about security and uh, money. And I want to ask you uh, about your time living overseas. I'm curious, uh, Phil and Elizabeth, uh, why were you living outside the U.S.? And wonder if you had already made the connection between your faith and money when you made that decision?
3: I'll take that, at least part of it, and then Phil can jump in if he wants to. Um, Phil and I met when we were in graduate school studying public health, and when we... um, really were clear that we wanted to have our lives be together, we were also clear that um, faith was an important part of that um, life for us. And so as we thought about our careers moving forward, we were very eager to take our newly minted training and um, go to another part of the world where we could learn from a new culture and also learn about our our profession in a different kind of context, Um, public health in the United States is a very different phenomenon now than it was when we finished graduate school, and both of us were interested in really exploring what it would be like to work as public health professionals in another part of the world. So we were also eager to be able to use the skills that we'd learned to bring them to places where that kind of um, need was great. And we looked around at a couple of different uh, volunteer organizations that were Christian, and we ended up working with the Mennonite Central Committee on a project in Nicaragua that was a, a partnership with a Christian organization, medical organization called Acción Medica Cristiana or Christian Medical Action, um, where we worked as volunteers for the years that we were there. So we were fully supported by MCC, um, but we were not earning any money at the time. Um, And it was a real decision for us because uh, we were aware that, you know, we'd been earning... regular job salaries as graduates with master's degrees, and when we decided to go with MCC about a year and a half into our marriage, I know that there were people, including family members, who thought that we were just crazy to be getting off of the career and salary track to go do this crazy thing, but the truth of the matter is that for us, it was neither a loss in terms of our professional development. It was absolutely a gain, and we were confident that um, whatever money we were sacrificing in terms of income, we would be able to um, work out both by careful planning and also by um, the, the kind of uh, work that we would be doing once we came back.
4: Yeah. So I mean I think that, that that's basically it. I mean we we uh, we knew what we were getting into and uh, really wanted this
2: experience. Yeah. Did you um, uh, after coming back and and uh, Phil? I know you've uh, also lived other places in the world and and uh, you live in Tacoma Park, Maryland now. Um, and one of the issues that often comes up when we're talking in our uh, workshops at Faith and Light Network is the safety issue. And um, did you have any? Were you just young and didn't care? Do you have, you know, uh, did you feel safe in the travel? Did, how do you how do you deal with the whole concern about physical safety uh, as it related to your your security?
4: Well, I mean, I think I I, I think in Nicaragua. I often say this, that I felt much safer there uh, than I do here. Uh, we were in a small town, uh, and we were really deeply embedded in a tiny community, and everybody looked out for us, people looked out for each other. There, there were some risks involved with being in such a place. There were risks in transport, uh, et cetera, but that was sort of part of the context of our lives. And we never felt that the fear of those risks would block us from doing what we felt that we were called to do. Um, so uh, as I said, I, I think in, in Nicaragua, our sense of community, uh, our sense of security kind of emanated from our community, that we have relationships with people. If if our son, when he was a, he was a baby, if he cried late at night, the next morning people would be out our door saying, is the baby okay? Are you, are you folks okay? Do you need help? So. Um, That kind of sort of helped us develop or me develop a sense of where does my security come from? And I think, you know, as we've moved here, uh, you know, back to the U.S., we've tried to kind of to apply those lessons as best we can to our life here. Um, We really have tried to cultivate a community of people that we know uh, uh, who upon whom we can rely uh, for help when we need it. and some of this is really just instrumental. Our our, our our neighbors on either side of us, we know we share a, a driveway with our next door neighbors. Uh, the fellow uh, is always looking out for us. If someone bangs on our door, and you know too many times, he'll stick his hat out the window and ask them what they want. Right. So, um, so I think uh, our our sense of physical security, I think has, like I said, has been sort of has been pegged to our community.
2: Yeah. Yeah. How have your uh, thoughts and feelings on security, as you look back? We started with you um, meeting early in your uh, in your uh, school days, and um, how has have your thoughts and feelings on security evolved over time? No, that's a good question.
4: Um, I mean, I think uh, well, I, I think that w- what happened is when we first came back from Nicaragua, our sense of you know, having enough was quite a quite strong we, we had just come out of a place where uh, we were living among folks who were quite poor uh, and so when we first got back to the u s we had all four of us at that time uh, sleeping in the same room uh, uh, we had plenty of room it was it was definitely enough um, and then you know as the kids got older as we decided to purchase a house uh uh, we started uh, um, you know, feeling like, we, well, the, the needs were a bit greater than before. The kids were bigger. We we're thinking about now uh, uh, sort of grappling with the idea of sending them to college, uh, thinking about our own retirement uh, and and the like. So uh, I think that uh, as time has gone by, I've, I'm feeling a little less secure than we did when we first got back from Nicaragua, for example,
2: um, I appreciate that your honesty there it is I think it our sense of security does kind of depend on our situations at times mm-hmm. hey, um, How do you balance the needs of your three children, your biological children, with the needs of all the children in the broader world do you Do you try to do that?
3: Oh, thanks for asking that question mike it 's a really good one. Um, I think, of course, as parents, we're always attentive to what our kids' needs are from, you know, the food that they eat and the kinds of things that we make available and what they're exposed to and where they go to school and all of those kinds of things. But I think we are also very keenly aware, both by our experiences from things like what we've been talking about living in other parts of the world, as well as our continued connection to... Vulnerable populations of people, whether they're here in the United States and in our neighborhood even, <coughs> excuse me, or whether they're in other parts of the world where Phil works. But we try to hold those two realities, our suburban middle class or upper middle class white experience together with what two thirds or more of the world experiences that's very, very different from us. And so it isn't so much about balancing needs and, and wants but really cultivating values in the kids and in our in the way we live our lives that correspond with a care for for all of the the people in the world as well as creation and and the things that are what sustain life as a whole
2: yeah i know it's it is a uh... Uh, a balance that um, we have to keep talking about with our with our kids and I, you know especially with the, the, the culture around us um, you know our kids are exposed to advertisements as you know everywhere they go telling them that they need more things or experiences to be accepted you know among their peers and and it's a true pressure point I know for, for young people I have two in high school and Uh, As parents, how do we counterbalance those messages? It's not easy. And how do we help our children cultivate a sense of security, a a sense of having enough to be okay? I'm curious if you have any uh, advice there. What does that look like in really practical terms in your household?
4: Well, uh, that's a great question, Mike. And it's something that we all struggle with. And I'm not sure about advice. I can tell you what our experience has been. Um, I think... uh, one of the things is for the first several years of our kids' lives, we didn't have a TV actually in the house, so that kind of short circuited a lot of the, the advertisements. But um, but I think you know they are they are and we are bombarded by advertisements wherever we go. Um, one of the things that we've tried to do with our kids is to try to pretty um, constantly help them to decode some of these messages. We talk to them about what does that advertisement say um you know what is you know what's really being sold here? what do we think about that um, and to, to to sort of engage them to be critical and we hear them that now critiquing advertisements and critiquing you know critiquing these kinds of things um, we um you know we've done a few things specific things and this parts of our lifestyle that that help to share that message that we have enough that we're good enough that we have enough uh, uh we've uh, opened our home to guests who needed uh, to, a place to stay for a long time. And that was uh, a kind of a way of, sh- of well, we, we did it because we felt we needed to, we were called to. But I think um, the collateral benefit is that our kids saw that, well, you know, we, we have enough. Yeah, we have enough that we can help people with. Um, we actively encourage our kids, uh, if they need a ride, if they need us to take them somewhere, does anyone else need a ride? Is there somewhere we can carpool? Um, We've uh, done a few specific things, like uh, taking the last year that was called the SNAP challenge, which was to try to live on this the same amount of food that someone on SNAP would have for a week. So you know, we, there's some specific things we've been we've been engaging them with. Um, so that's that's sort of in a nutshell some of the some things we've been working on with them.
2: Yeah, thank you, thank you. That's. Have a couple more questions about about our about kids here. I want to ask. Sure. I think your your oldest child is in college. A lot of people are concerned, and you know about saving for college and that kind of thing. Uh, is he attending his dream school? Were you prepared to do pretty much anything to make sure he got to wherever he wanted? How did you work with the whole college college choice thing and money?
3: Right. Well, college is definitely. Um, mm-hmm. An extraordinarily expensive investment as anyone with with you know eyes to to see and ears to hear can can attest, especially even if you don't have kids you can just hear the the expensive nature of college um, and when Phil and I were beginning to think about you know setting money aside for the kids we we did decide that we would try to uh, invest with them in college rather than take a path of just going to you know cover it completely without any questions asked, and that was a very considered decision that included our reflecting on our own experiences as college students and how our parents supported us, and um, both of us agreed that there was something really powerful to be said for having to be participants in making the college experience happen in terms of the value that you place on that education and the, the intentionality with which you make choices and learn skills and, and practices. So, um, We started saving for the kids back when they were very small and we basically had a, a view that we would try to provide about three years of in-state tuition for them um, as the resources that they could count on from us and that beyond That it was going to have to be some combination of scholarships or their own participation or loans or whatever it would take to to finish out that balance. For our oldest child, when he was making decisions about where to go to school, of course, he applied to the local school, but of of um, interest to him was having the opportunity to live in another part of the country and learn what that meant and what that what that was like. And so, ultimately, he made the choice to attend school at the University of California in, in Los Angeles, UCLA, which is a perfect school for him in so many ways, but it is absolutely not perfect in terms of the cost because yeah. it is, as an out-of-state yeah. student, really expensive. Um, so, Pretty much all of the funds that we had set aside for him were used up within the first year and a half to, they work on a quarter system. So basically, you know, by the end of the the second quarter of his sophomore year. The money is gone. And we started having conversations with him even before he went to school saying, you know, this is, this is serious uh, investment of resources and something that you need to be sure that you're prepared to do, that this is what we can do and you're going to have to start thinking about and planning for what's going to come after the money runs out. Mm-hmm and like a teenager he sort of said yes but didn't quite get there in his mind or in his actions until we got to visit him in november of this year for parents weekend and said no really this is where it ends <laughs> you
2: know yeah, um, yeah we
3: actually run out of money at the end of your second quarter and we'll help you with our you know we'll find other ways to help you to finish out your sophomore year. But after that point, you're really going to have to take this as a you know something that's much more yours to manage and will help you. And so part of what we are working with him now is to gain the skills and the values and the attitudes and practices that will equip him to be able to take this on for himself. So he's yeah. grappling with becoming... Independent from us financially, so that he can qualify for in state tuition, potentially um, moving, I mean, not attending school for a period of time in order to just work and earn money and be able to have some resources to. To bank on and to use to pay for his education, and he's probably going to incur some debt in the process. Well, undoubtedly, will incur some debt. And there's a big concern about how much that debt would be, but um, in the grand scheme of things, I think what we've observed in the process is that he is actively involved in a way that, I'll say for myself, I was never involved in thinking about my education and valuing it in a different kind of way.
2: That's very creative. Thank you for sharing that. Hey, folks, we need to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. Stay with us.
5: Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
6: When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life?
1: Check out Life's Journey with Tim Manson, the 7-Minute Motivator. On the one part, we're all about changing minds, one heart at a time. Tim will show you how to overcome struggles in your life and come out winning, as Tim is overcoming his struggle with MS. On the flip side, Tim will show you how the power and spirit of the horse and equine-assisted learning programs can inspire and empower you to take that winning edge to a new level. It really is two shows in one. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. listening to Faith and Money, Making the Connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike
2: Little and this week's show. Hey, welcome back, folks. We're talking with the very creative Elizabeth McNeekin and Phil Moses about faith and security. and um, I want to uh, begin this Uh, segment talking about retirement because that's another biggie for us uh, and really sensitive issue when we think about our our sense of security uh, in retirement Uh, thinking of our old age makes us feel especially vulnerable the what if scenarios can be quite troubling what if I outlive my savings what if I need a lot of expensive medical care what if my spouse dies and I'm alone Plus, that anxiety is often layered with the message that we have failed if we don't have an early and affluent retirement, traveling and spending as much as we want. Uh, what are your plans for retirement? And Do you feel you have enough resources to make those plans feasible?
3: Start with that, and then Phil can jump in. Um, one of the examples that I look to, when I think about retirement for myself, is Phil's dad, who at 87 years of age continues to maintain his licensed to practice dentistry in the state of North Carolina and works as a fill-in dentist for other colleagues as they attend conferences or take vacations, just as a backup to the hygienic staff that are, are working there. And he gets so much pleasure out of that. And it, he isn't working because he needs the money, but because he really wants to stay actively involved in the community of professionals that he has been involved with over the years of his career and also also to just have, you know, something else to do in in a day and to contribute his gifts as best as he can. So when I think about retirement I'm not thinking just about, you know, I'm gonna to get to sixty five and then I get to stop. I think part of part of our life work has been to do things that are meaningful and important to us along the way so that we're we're full of joy and, and you know, gratitude and and sense of of purpose in the work that we're doing now and not, you know, waiting until we can stop it in order to do other things that are important and meaningful. Um, What that will look like in terms of will it be paid employment or might we do another stint of volunteer work in another part of the the world or another part of the country isn't 100% clear. And I certainly won't pretend that we have a, you know, a, formal plan that we've completely finished discussing with one another and setting in motion. But I think we're clear that our life isn't going to stop being engaged with the world around us and all of a sudden be all about us and and our, you know, our opportunities to go and take up new skills or to go play golf or whatever, Um, but really still want to continue to be involved in the community. Um, Phil has a – Saying that he often shares that I'll let him jump in with about camels.
4: know <laughs> <laughs> I just um, okay. This is the camel. This is the camel talk. Um, the there's a proverb that says, "Trust in God, but tie your camel." Uh, it comes out of, uh, of Islam, <laughs> where, where people were people were being told, "Well, trust in God in all things." And someone said, "Well, should so, I mean I can leave my tam- camel untied?" And the different response is, "Well, trust in God and, and tie your camel." which for me means, you know, we take precautions. We do what we should, what we think what we should do. We should be prudent, uh, but understand that it's not all up to us. And we, uh, we step step out in faith and keep going.
2: It seems like a good balance. I know there are scriptures that some, some pull out that, you know, uh, that, that we shouldn't hoard and, and that to trust God to take care of our futures. And, um, I think the, the camel, uh, uh, story kind of answers that uh, for me. That's that's a good one.
3: If I could hey. jump in, for yeah, a go second. ahead. So, I, the camel story is a great one, and I love it. But I I do think that you know trying to hold the tension of what Scripture teaches us has led us to think carefully about. You know where are the funds that we're setting aside for retirement invested? What kind of investment is that? And to the extent that we've been able to align our um, our resources to be more in sync with our values, you know that that's been a very important piece for us. So we have, a fabulous advisor who has helped us to, you know, really make choices that put things in um, socially responsible investments. And we have made a commitment to at least 15% of our, Total investments are in community development financial institutions. Just because we don't want to just have that money sitting there and being beneficial to Wall Street, but you know, really trying to make sure that it's correspondent with what the whole the whole cloth of our faith is telling us.
2: Yeah, so we can we can use that other ninety uh, percent or what you know eighty five percent for good as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. You've talked um, a lot about um, uh, your, the community aspect of your security and as being vital kind of resources for your lives and and a caring community to help with your uh, sense of security. And um, what are the chances do you think? I mean, do you, do you feel like while there might be some communities uh, that are are more open to that? Uh, uh, life together in in a variety of ways um, seems like in in our culture the closest thing we at least currently have to community support is kind of our individual long term care insurance policies and I'm you know do you have any sense what the chances are that in in our country or in our community that this other the idea you're talking about can take hold
3: um, I think you know that's a really hard question because in in fact it is true there are not a lot of models of ways that people are coming together to work out retirement and long term you know old age together i think there are interesting retirement communities and those kinds of things but it does as you said start with individual investment in that. And then once people get established in a retirement community, be whatever it may be, leisure world or whatever, then they cultivate their community and they take advantage of it. And I'm not sure that we have a a great um, sense of optimism that a lot is going to change between now and the time that we reach a point where we Are thinking about, you know, downsizing or relocating our homes. However, I would say that we, we are pretty open and actively involved in conversations with people to say, well, what could that look like? What would be different? And, you know, we've, we've talked about would we try to do some kind of co-housing arrangement and we have friends that are in the midst of doing that kind of Collective investment in property and housing for old age, that um, is something that we're paying careful attention to in West Virginia. And I think, you know, for us, we're clear that we don't want our old age and retirement to be exclusively about what we can afford For ourselves, but that we want to be connected to other people and understand that there's going to have to be some breaking breaking into new territory in the process.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever get tired of the struggle and find yourself just kind of floating with the cultural tide?
4: Of course. I mean, I I think that's uh, part of being a human being. Um, I think what when that happens. Uh, what we try to do is uh is to to try to you know try to be in touch with people who are like minded i think uh one of the things that we found is uh from our lessons from Nicaragua is that the people around us have a profound effect on how we see ourselves so um you know uh, sometimes uh we end up pushing people along and sometimes others pick us up so uh, having a, a, a group of reference at hand a, 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 a network of people who share similar values has been of an immense help to us when we don't quite uh, have it in us to, to fight the cultural tide um,
2: right. well thank you uh, we're going to take another quick break we're with Phil Moses and Elizabeth McMeekin talking about security and faith we'll be right back
1: Us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
5: It's time to empower our kids so they can make the best decisions now and later in life. Listen for I Am for Kids Radio with host Mark Papadis. Mark is the founder of the I Am for Kids Foundation, which is a recognized 501c3 charity committed to revolutionizing elementary education in the U.S. Our show helps kids, teachers, and parents to realize the power of identity and help each of us decide who we are and our place in the world. I Am for Kids Radio is heard live Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.
1: listening to Faith and Money making the connection with Mike Little. To find out more about us, please visit our website at faithandmoneynetwork.org. That's faithandmoneynetwork.org. Now back to Mike Little
2: and this week's show. Yeah, welcome back and uh we're talking with Phil Moses and Elizabeth McMeekin about uh their life and family and faith and security and um, and money uh, and i wanted to um and we when we left for the break we were talking about the just the struggles that that we all have for trying to balance this and i'm wondering uh what helps you guys continue to re-choose this path and do you have practices and commitments you take how, how does your how does your community help you with that
3: um that's a that's a good question, and one that I think we um are constantly looking at. Um, I think one of the things that was has always been tremendously important for us is to, as Phil mentioned before, have people that we can turn to, who we believe will um, have our best interests in mind, both in terms of the things that are uh, are our aspirations, but also being really honest with us and asking hard questions. And so there are people that we consistently turn to to give us reflections of Are, are we saying that we are doing what we want to do? Are we doing what we say we want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition, I think you know one of the things that was tremendously valuable for both of us was being exposed to the Sabbath Economics framework that Ched Myers and and the Bartimaeus Cooperative group developed which was really really helpful because it provides a very clear and specific set of practices and and points of reflection that that we do actively use as part of our decision making whether consciously or at this point a little bit unconsciously but still you know very much a part of our our experience in addition there are other things like um when we were with the Mennonites, we read together the Living More With Less book. And um, and our church community is actively uh, informing us of the path that Scripture extends for us and the invitation to be part of that path. So things like... You know when our kids want to do mission trip kind or when when mission trip opportunities come up, we encourage them to participate, whether it's through the church or through other groups, to be part of uh, giving of their time and their skills, but also learning and growing in the company of other people and other cultures. And we also are surrounded by a neighborhood of people who are, also part of our community. They're not just you know, folks that look exactly like us, but whose experiences continue to inform us that, wow, life is not always easy and comfortable, and we have to always be um, attentive to what the culture tells us and what our neighbors remind us isn't exactly the case for them, mm-hmm. and figuring out how to navigate between those two realities.
2: Right. And what advice, maybe a couple things, uh, would you have to people who are just beginning to connect their faith and their money and finding that it challenges their sense of security?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think um, a couple of concrete things that have helped us is, you know, the saying is, you know, a lone wolf is easy prey. I mean, if, if, if you feel called to walking down this path, I think it's really important to start seeking out and finding other folks who, are, uh, who feel a similar call so that you can support each other. Uh, mm-hmm. this is, it's kind of a team sport. No one can do this alone. Um, and uh, that helps to sort of help you ground truth you know, things or double check things or do reality checks with people. Uh, and it helps you feel like, uh, well, I'm not just al- alone swimming against the tide here. <laughs> um, the other sort of practical point I would say is, you know, seek out ways to be connected to folks who are in, um, who are who are at the margin, who are not well off necessarily, who are not well connected, and um, you know, try to have a relationship that whereby you can be with those folks and understand a little bit about what is. Really going on In, in our society And in, in the world uh, And t- so that you can understand That you're probably uh, A whole lot better off And uh, so you probably are Objectively a whole lot more secure By objective measures Than you might have thought you were
2: mm-hmm. Hey, Elizabeth and Phil, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing what feels like real joy and challenges of finding and living out of your sense of security. We really, really appreciate your honesty and wisdom. And your emphasis on community gives a whole new meaning, I think, to the phrase social security. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Mike. My pleasure. You know, it's been our intention today to provide everyone with some stories and questions time and a safe space to reflect on where you find your security that's the way we do all our work at faith in my network asking questions together providing some thoughtful stories and relevant resources and opening up time and a safe space for people to find the answers in their own lives and hearts making the connection between our faith and our money can be challenging it's immeasurably rewarding, and we appreciate that you are on the journey with us through these programs. Faith and Money Network also offers workshops for local groups, preaching and teaching for worship and faith education, and trips of perspective to see parts of the world through the lens of God's economic vision. Among our printed materials is an eight-week study guide of readings and thoughtful questions for individual or group study. And for people looking for companionship on the journey, we offer money mentoring, one-on-one conversations and spiritual direction to support you in making the connection between your faith and your money. We invite you to learn more about us on our website, faithandmoneynetwork.org, and there you can sign up to receive our newsletter by email. Let us know about your joys and challenges by sending me an email at mike at We will be praying for your work and ask that you pray for ours as well. As we've said today, it's tougher than it's together that we deepen our sense of security. I find both comfort and challenge in relying on the community for my security. I do not expect perfection from others, and I sometimes fear being let down. But I'm sure that it's only in community that I can find security and live the life God has called me to live. When my family went through a serious medical emergency last year, our community was there with us in hundreds of ways, from my church here in Washington, D.C., to the board of directors at Faith in My Network, to my home church in Indiana, and beyond, all over the world. The community helped absorb our pain and fear, making it possible to do what we needed to do and emerge loved and relatively whole. The community also helps us live faithfully with life's insecurity. When we're doing the inward work with each other and really being known, sharing our fears and praying for each other every day, our fear is carried more lightly among all of, all of us. Our vision for living in God's economy of enough for all is energized. But it can be extremely difficult to find that kind of community in our culture and economy of individualism and insecurity. Consequently, many people feel that if we're waiting for true community, we better be growing those retirement accounts while we wait. While there are people everywhere who are part of that kind of community, many more are not. We seem to have forgotten how community can work except in times of crisis and emergency. But the social fabric of God's people did not fray in one generation, and neither will it reweave in one generation. In the meantime, we do what we need to do to support our families, always with the touchstone of our faith that reminds us to ask, How much is enough? And we work like crazy to rebuild community wherever we are. If we do that, perhaps today's children will be one generation closer to genuine community, and their children another generation closer still. This brings uh, us to our first action step today take an inventory of all your assets on paper. List your financial assets, of course, but also your personal assets like health, skills, faith, and education. List your family assets and your community assets like, like parks and arts. Also, carefully itemize your relational assets. With whom do you have regular contact? Include family, colleagues at work, members of your worshiping community, and your neighbors. Perhaps go further to note key people you relate to at your children's school or local businesses where is your wealth in this inventory? Where is your security? Your next action step is to invest this week in your relational assets. Imagine one thing you can do to strengthen your relationship with one of the people you named in the inventory who isn't your family. If you're having trouble with of thinking of something, send me an email. And we'll discuss it. A third action step is to challenge the cultural messages that constantly attack our sense of security. If you can, Turn off your TV and other media for a week to minimize the commercials that exploit your insecurities and quiet the fears fed by TV news. I say if you can because this seems to be virtually impossible for many of us. Trust me, God knows about the trouble in the world without you being able to pray specifically for every global hot spot of the week. And when you turn the media back on, you will see the cultural messages with new awareness. Alternatively, watch the media this week with a sharp eye. Take note of all the commercials that imply that you don't have enough and are entitled to more. more. Talk it over with someone uh, and and check out the news reports that market fear. If there are ways we can be a part of your community, please let me know at mike at faithandmoneynetwork.org. Thank you for sharing this time with us today. You are now part of the Faith and Money Network, joining together to live into God's economy of enough for all, of solidarity and of action grounded in love. Blessings on the journey.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on faith and money making the connection please tune in again next monday at 9 a.m pacific time noon eastern time for another edition with your host mike little on the voice america empowerment channel take a step this week to let your faith shape your money choices
0: and Management.